welcome to another episode of The Modernist, a podcast dedicated to empowering your modern individual. In this episode, we welcome and meet Alex Lazaridis. Alex is the founder of Laz Partners, an executive search firm that specializes in placing portfolio managers and other front office investment talent in some of the world's leading hedge funds and investment management firms. After founding his business in 2018 and working on his own for the first three years, he decided to begin expanding the business in 2021 and will be at close to a headcount of 10 by the end of 2023, with plans to continue expanding the business in 2024 due to a strong growth trajectory. Before moving into executive search, Alex worked in the city in macro research sales for nearly a decade, covering hedge funds, and decided to launch his executive search business after consistently hearing from his clients that there was a lack of strong recruiters with knowledge of the rates and FX markets. In his spare time, Alex enjoys reading books, studying financial markets, mentoring, and running. So without further ado, let's get started. Well, Alex, thank you so much uh, for joining the Modernist Podcast. It's great to have you here and thank you for taking the time. Um, It'd be great if you can start by introducing yourself. What are you up to these days? Um, Yeah, please go for it. Absolutely. Thanks, Melissa. It's a pleasure to be on here. So yeah, I'm Alex and I run an executive search firm called Last Partners and we work in close partnership with some of the world's most successful hedge funds, asset managers and sell-side firms to help them build out their investment and research teams. And we mainly specialize in global macro, which is interest rates and FX, and then also fundamental credit, equities, and private debt. So essentially, we help our clients recruit the best talent in the market so they can generate strong investment returns for their clients. Hopefully, that makes sense. (laughs) Well, we might need to delve into some of those terms a bit deeply later, but... um, Absolutely. The first person, well, first recruiter um, background uh, individual that I've had on the podcast. So it's great. Exciting. But it's very interesting, I think, to delve into the world of recruitment. So brilliant. Got your own executive search firm. What inspires you to kind of A, start your firm, but also kind of look specifically at the investment management industry, the kind of the mm-hmm. FX markets? I guess what opportunities sure. be at the time when you were looking at setting up? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually spent the first kind of almost decade, maybe eight, nine years of my career in what you would call macro sales um, or macro research sales. So I was essentially working with hedge funds and other investment managers. And to kind of put it simply, I was selling them macro research, which is essentially research on financial markets, kind of interest rates, FX primarily, which we'll dive into, um, in order to help them make better investment decisions. So I was a sales guy. I worked with the research team of very smart economists and analysts um, at a couple of firms. Um, and obviously, we'll dive into that in, in depth in a little bit if we need to. But things were going really well in my last firm. Uh, it was called MRB Partners, a very good investment strategy firm. Um, I was doing sales for clients there, but I'd always wanted to start my own business. So met up with a buddy of mine that ran a executive search firm, and he told me how it worked. I thought it sounded pretty interesting. So I got in touch with some of my closest clients that were hedge funds and investment managers, asked them if there were sort of a lot of good recruiters in the space. And they said there were a few, but there was a real gap kind of in the market for good people that truly understood uh, the different roles, team structures um, in this particular space, which was macro at the time. Now we do other stuff. So um, I took the plunge. It was scary, but um, I started the business started working with some of the clients that I had good relationships with and the rest is history. 
Amazing. So for someone who doesn't know what macro research sales are, please can you explain what that is? Because I'm not very familiar with what that is. And I'm sure some people listening might not be exactly sure. Yeah, absolutely. So in financial markets, you have a lot of different quote unquote asset classes. So the most common one everyone will know is equities, which is stocks. Uh, But typically with equities, for example, you're looking at an individual company from a bottom-up perspective, which means you're analyzing a company's balance sheet. So we call that, quote-unquote, micro. You you have to understand macro, which I'll get to in a second, but really you're looking at an individual individual company. The world of macro is when you're actually looking at entire market fluctuations and movements that are driven by geopolitical events, central banks hiking rates, um, moves in currencies, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's called macro because it's much bigger picture. We're looking at stuff from a country level or even a whole geography instead of an individual, um, like an individual company, like, you know, like Tesla, for example, in equities. So macro research sales is there's certain types of clients called macro hedge funds, or there's other investment managers that manage macro products. And they are making sort of big picture trades based on moves in interest rates, FX, things like that. And, the clients we were working with were essentially using that research to help them make better investment decisions. And um, the research that I was selling was probably one of many different research products they were using. But yeah, essentially research to help them make better decisions um, in addition to you know their own knowledge of markets themselves, if that makes sense. Hopefully pretty clear. <laughs> That's very helpful. That kind of leads to my next question in that Obviously, you have this interesting background in macro research sales, but within the kind of finance industry, and then you're transitioning into executive search. How did you find that kind of previous experience helped prepare and build your business? Obviously, you've mentioned potential clients, but in what Mm -hmm. other ways has that kind of helped determine your steps in this industry? Yeah, so if I'm hearing you correctly, it's how how did my um, experience in macro research or just the macro space in general help me kind of building out the business? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would say is because initially a lot of the clients we worked with were macro investors, because the sort of rule I'd had working closely with a lot of these teams for years before, it helped me have a profoundly deep understanding of how their teams were structured, how a lot of these investors would think, uh, you know, what a portfolio manager would do or an analyst on a team, the responsibility of a chief investment officer, which is basically the person that heads up the whole investment team. And understanding sort of how these teams were structured, how they operated, how they traded markets really allowed me to kind of get into the mindset of what sort of talent a lot of these people would need in order to generate good investment returns and drive performance. And also for the, for the years I did macro sales, I built relationships with hundreds of different macro professionals, ranging from heads of teams all the way down to analysts. So it's actually a natural transition starting a business uh, focused on macro executive search initially. And now again, we look at multiple markets. Because if a head of a team came to me and said, Alex, we need a good macro portfolio manager, I knew quite a few of them. So I think a lot of it just came down to having a really good network in that space initially, even without the recruitment knowledge. But obviously, I've had to learn a lot about recruitment along the way, which we can get to in a little bit. But hope that kind of answers the question. Yeah, I always um, heard of the saying, your net worth. No, your network is your net worth. (laughs) Yeah, Absolutely. Especially in something like executive search or recruitment. Uh, Same thing, but executive search is typically a bit more senior. But yeah, I mean, essentially a client comes to us because of our network. 
And it's just, yeah, the, the larger network you have in the space, the more clients are going to trust your ability to be able to deliver on a search for them. So I would absolutely agree with that. <laughs> um, so a little bit to looking to your business and obviously the ups and the downs, which uh, all business owners have, and and obviously that it can be quite lonely as well. You start out initially mm-hmm. yourself. Um, what were kind of some of the biggest challenges you faced? What were the biggest lessons you learned from those challenges as an entrepreneur and a business owner? Yeah, absolutely. So I spent the first three years just operating kind of solo, kind of building up my uh, recruitment knowledge with the help of a lot of mentors uh, until I felt like I was a pretty solid recruiter, but obviously with a lot of success along the way. But I'd say, you know, when it came to beginning to scale the business, I think running any kind of business, it's much more than just the sales aspect and the client aspect. There are a lot of operational aspects that you need to learn and perfect. You have to learn how numbers work, how balance sheets work. You have to think about marketing, automating marketing, building out training programs for new joiners. So I think in some, you know, a lot of that can be challenging, but also very rewarding. And I think a lot of it also comes down to the way your brain is wired. So I always had a big vision to build this into a large, successful company. But given that I have more of what I'd call a kind of sales and sort of relationship building mindset as opposed to kind of a more in the weeds operational type of mindset. I think I had to work a lot more diligently and put a lot more kind of heart and soul into building the operational aspects of the business. So doing a lot of that in addition to also recruiting as I started building the company up, you know, there were some challenging times along the way. Uh, But, you know, we've now gotten to a point where you know, the business is running very smoothly and it's been, you know, there've been some ups and downs, but I think the exciting thing about that is, you know, how much I've also been able to learn about all these different areas. And we recently hired a head of ops that's taking, taking over a lot of the operational stuff that we're doing. And I think as the business gets larger, it actually gets easier when you start bringing in individual professionals that can take over a lot of those aspects of the business. I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge. And obviously getting our hiring process nailed, there's been a lot of kind of work. And that's evolved a lot over time in terms of the types of people that we look to bring in, the questions we ask, the attributes we look for. So it's been a learning journey for sure, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's it's always very hard in the beginning because yeah, you're wearing so many different hats and you kind of have to sort of be an expert in everything, but you obviously can't be an expert in everything. Um, that's right. <laughs> operations is like, that's my headache at the moment as well. There you go. You're doing you. a great job. <laughs> um, looking at a bit more your kind of current expansion of your business, you're obviously growing, you're hiring new people. Um, what are kind of key qualities and traits do you look for when you're when you're hiring someone for your team? What is the most important thing for you? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, the first thing we have, I mean, there's all these traits we'll go through, like resilience and willingness to work hard and, you know, being team players. But I think one of the first things is I look for people that are first of all, interested in financial markets, even if they don't come from from a financial markets background. But I think people also need to kind of have a profound curiosity. It's sort of an intellectual curiosity, a strong interest and desire to learn. Because a lot of the asset classes and sectors and things that we cover are very technical for someone that doesn't actually come from a markets background. So if you don't actually, if you can't take an interest in markets and actually want to learn about, you know, what the yield curve is, how interest rates work, the intricacies of different asset classes and different types of rules in the business, you're probably not going to be able to succeed because it's going to be very overwhelming and uh, difficult if you're not interested in the topic. So I think 
definitely strong interest in financial markets and kind of intellectual curiosity and drive to want to learn. Obviously, resilience, not just in executive search, but also in any sales job or even consulting job, there's ups and downs. You've got to be able to take, you know, if, if we if a search falls through or something goes wrong, you've got to take that on the chin and have strong, what I call bounce back ability. Taking that from a book, I'm trying to remember, but you know, not not being too down on yourself and letting too much time go by and being able to be resilient and move on. You know, understanding that you'll get out of it whatever you put in. So, you know, this is a job where do very well if you're a good performer. There, there can be very good bonuses, very good commissions. So people that understand that, that are wired in such a way where they're happy to be in a role where a lot of their success is going to be determined by how much work they put in. And then definitely team players. I think that's really important. And then we also look at qualities like integrity. I think that's very important because um, there are unfortunately some search firms out there that just spam people's CVs out. Uh, so that's very important. And then lastly, sort of discipline and a strong passion for what we do. And also discretion. Can't forget to add that one because we work with some very, very high-profile fund managers uh, and other investment professionals that massively value discretion and confidentiality. Because if your name gets out in the market when you're <laughs> applying for roles, then it's it's bad for everybody. So, absolutely. You. Yeah very good vision of, of the kind of individual that you look for. You mentioned a few times about hard work, um, which kind of leads on to my next question, but it would be lovely to hear what is kind of hard work for you. And obviously as a entrepreneur and a business owner, it could be very hard to kind of balance and kind of designate your time. And you're obviously wearing so many hats. It can mm-hmm. pop into burnout and exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what is hard work for you and how do you manage kind of the difficulties of being an entrepreneur in terms of your time management? I think that's a great question. I would say that, you know, not just myself, but a lot of people that are running businesses or even successful, <clears throat> excuse me, professionals that are working in roles at a, at a good organization. Um, a lot of people would agree that, you know, health and fitness and taking care of the body obviously will oftentimes lead to having a clear mindset that allows you to perform well with pretty much anything you're doing. <clears throat> so I definitely, you know, kind of hit the gym most mornings, try to eat as healthy as I can. I'm not going to say I'm perfect. Let's say 80, 20, um, really kind of treasuring and valuing my downtime. So I try to give myself at least one full day off a week, which usually falls on a weekend. Obviously when we're not very busy, that's a whole weekend. And obviously enjoying holidays and everything else. I think planning ahead is extremely important. So definitely make sure to plan out and map about the whole week. We do a morning team call on Mondays and talk about, you know, what are our objectives for the week? What are we trying to accomplish? So really holding the team accountable to various, you know, performance metrics and expectations. But you know, we're all adults in the business and every everyone knows what's expected of them. So I'd say that's important. And I think also just realizing there are going to be certain times that are just very busy. And, you know, when that happens, like right now is a busy time. We're hiring people doing a lot of kind of operational overhauls, to the business, doing a rebrand. Uh, it's just a very, very exciting time of building out a lot of processes and kind of expanding the business. It's a busy time. I'm working pretty late hours, but as we get towards Christmas, things will, things will get a bit quieter. So I think just embracing when times are busy, and knowing, you know, and not being scared to work really hard during those times, but then really kind of valuing the downtime. And of course, as I said at the beginning, really doing a lot of planning ahead. It's critical. And mm-hmm. focusing on tasks that are 
that are critical and not getting too bogged down with, you know, sort of what I call uh, non-urgent but important tasks. Yeah, I, I recently read the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I never actually used to plan my weeks. Like, like I didn't plan for the week, I planned for the day. And recently, since reading that book, I've planned for my week ahead and just done it all on Sunday evening. And honestly, I'd say it has, like, revolutionized my life. <laughs> I was like, why didn't I it's, not think about that sooner? <laughs> yeah, it's an absolute game changer. Stephen Covey's a great author. It's it's a really good book. I've read it twice. Nice. Uh, it's Yeah, re- really, really good book. It's so important. Discipline, planning ahead, yeah. and prioritizing. Absolutely. And I love what you said about embracing the seasons because I do agree that, you know, I think work is not like a, you know, just a linear kind of or just a straight line that is consistent. It's very seasonal and very up and down. You know, there'll be some seasons where it's absolutely crazy and other seasons where it's super quiet. So I love that kind of mindset of embracing things as they come. Um, I guess digging into. Absolutely. your kind of typical weekly uh, and daily kind of life, what does that look like for you in terms of kind of your work routine um, and your kind of, how do you kind of designate your time in that way? Absolutely. So hit the gym in the morning, get into the office. We'll typically, if it's a Monday or Friday, have a morning team call. So on Mondays, uh, it's yeah, planning for the week ahead. Fridays is a bit of kind of market intel and stuff like that. But you know, my day is chunked into a few different times or a few different kind of categories, I would say. Um, one of them is obviously kind of training the team. So we have some trainings throughout the week. I also chunk out time to kind of work on operational tasks with our head of ops. So we definitely kind of put a few of those, a few of those sessions in every week on key operational things that we're trying to accomplish. So right now, sort of marketing overhaul. Uh, doing a bit of a overhaul of our training program, deciding on hiring strategy, taking a look at our clients, uh, what we can do to have the or to provide the absolute best possible experience for our clients. So that's one category. There's also you know designating some time for meeting clients because I'm still probably 40, 50 percent of my time is still recruiting, and the rest is more focused on operations and business. So making sure to be getting out, meeting clients, taking members of the team out to meet clients and all that sort of stuff. And then I still love speaking to candidates. Even though I'm running the business, I still like to do lots of calls to candidates. I still love recruiting. And even when the business gets a lot larger, I'm still going to try to do some of that, even if it's a smaller percentage of my time. So there's that. And then, you know, trying to have a cutoff time usually uh, on during less busy times, it's kind of 6.30-ish. But even on days where I work a little bit later in the office, I still like to make sure I always try to switch off by kind of 8 or 8.30 and then wind down with a podcast, a book, occasionally like a you know, TV show or something on Netflix, a nice, nice healthy dinner, you know? So yeah, I think just just chunking chunking time into sort of key categories, right? Revenue generation, sort of meeting clients, operations, and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, Definitely the fitness in the morning is key because if I don't go to the gym and come to the office, I feel like a different man compared to if I've actually, you know, bashed out 45 minutes of cardio. So <laughs> I'm like such a morning workout person. I don't care. Like I'll get up at 5 a.m. and I'll still do it because I just honestly, it makes such a difference. I didn't know what it might <laughs> can't function but yeah I think yeah there are some people I know only could do it in the evening so I guess depends on your routine but I'm just depends person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree workout class uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do an occasional spin class from time to time I, I'm so. not spin so I won't join you on that one <laughs> it could be brutal <laughs> 
Um, you mentioned when you were kind of talking about people that you typically hire about integrity. Um, mm-hmm. What are you, kind of your core values, would you say, and principles um, as as you kind of guide, you, as you grow your business? Because I do think that I do really believe in the power of values and having being a value-based business or a value-based Absolutely. Business. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah. So I'll tell you our five core values and then I might touch on a couple of them. So the main core values that we have at Last Partners, our business, are integrity, precision, which is very important, passion, knowledge, and discretion. I'll touch on a couple of those. I think integrity, we've kind of already touched on, but I think, look, we're representing people in their careers. It's extremely, it's these are extremely pivotal moments for the pivotal moments, excuse me, for the candidates that we're representing. And also for the teams that we're hiring for this, if they're trying to make an important hire, that's, you know, that could be critical to their business. So I think having integrity in the way we deal with these clients, being honest with them, if something goes wrong, putting our hands up and flagging things real quickly to them, um, you know, always being honest in all situations, uh, which I, I hire people based on those values. And we ask values based questions, but I think that's critical precision, really important That means, you know, trying to be pretty good with your grammar and emails, kind of put a lot of emphasis on kind of email etiquette and everything. That's genuinely because we're working with, you know, very successful, highly paid professionals that are busy. And if you're making lots of grammatical errors, you know, people might not take you as seriously. So it's just trying to be really precise, not mess up numbers because we're talking to to clients about, you know, what salary a particular candidate might be earning, what their bonus is. And these are big numbers. So it's just things like that on precision. Passion, I think that's a pretty important one. We've got to bring passion to the table. You don't want to be uh, not passionate about what you're doing because that definitely filters through and clients and candidates can feel that on the on the phone. And then knowledge, I think, is is just it's one of the biggest things for us. We look for, and I may have mentioned this earlier, I, for, I forget, but sort of very intellectually curious people that really want to kind of deep dive and understand their markets in depth. And also people, you know, in an interview, I'll ask people, so what do you do outside of work to kind of build out your knowledge base? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you read books? What's a book you recently read? So I think, as I alluded to earlier, it's it's just really critical to have that thirst and curiosity for knowledge. So we look for people that just love learning and love doing a deep dive into various topics, uh, especially financial markets. And if they don't know markets, we teach them. And we'd hope that they kind of stay quite interested and want to learn more. And then discretion. Yeah, we're representing very highly paid, very sort of private people. And discretion is absolutely critical in what we do. So I know I've actually talked about all five of them, uh, but I hope that's helpful. No, that is great. It's it's amazing, yeah, I think, to have a good, clear values and, and vision as well. And, you know, I think I think it's for me, I think it's probably the first thing you should do when you start a business really is, is yeah, what are your values? What is your kind of North Star? Um, Absolutely. So, uh, that is me. And you mentioned about podcasts. So I, I was going to ask you this towards the end, but I really want to know what podcasts and books that you read, because I love reading myself. And I think it's something that people don't do enough at all. And um, I think mm-hmm. it's so fundamental to yeah. is reading. So yeah, well, what is on your reading list? Yeah. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Should you should you podcast your books first? You tell me. Oh, okay. Let's do podcasts first, then. Let's yeah, do. sure. So I have a few different podcasts I listen to for like various different things. So you know, obviously, Diary of a CEO, everyone listens to. I think Steve Bartlett's a really good interviewer. Uh, there's also uh, Lewis Howe's School of Greatness. I think he has some, some really good guests on there. 
uh, just across all kinds of topics in life. There's another amazing guy named Sean Stevenson that wrote a book called Sleep Smarter. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was actually struggling with sleep a bit. It wasn't like serious insomnia, but it was taking me time to get to sleep. So I bought this book called Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson. And it was an incredible book. And he actually runs a podcast. It's called The Model Health Show. It has nothing to do with models. It's just The Model Health Show. And it's probably one of my favorite podcasts for just the most incredible deep dive uh, stuff on different aspects of health, taking care of yourself, wellness. And he actually, all the stuff he talks about is backed by academic research. I also love, you know, um, Huberman, Huberman Labs. Um, he's just incredible from uh, from Stanford, like really cool deep dive scientific stuff about various aspects of health and, you know, metabolism. So there's like health ones, School of Greatness and Diary of CEO, more kind of for business. And then, yeah, and then a bunch of like podcasts on markets. There's like an FT podcast, a Bloomberg podcast. So I think I like to categorize them into different sort of buckets of what aspects of life that they you know, that they kind of help out with. So, and then in terms of books, I've got three books. There's an incredible book I've been reading that's called 10X is Easier Than 2X by Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. It's actually a really cool book because it talks about how if you're trying to scale as a business and you just say, hey, we want to be up, you know, we want our revenue to go up 30% next year. I mean, that's an ambitious, great goal. But what he talks about is, or what they talk, Dan and Ben talk about is, if you actually think 10X, if, if you want to grow like 10x in a year or two, that's almost impossible if you just stick to doing the same things you're doing to grow 30%. And it requires you to think from such a different perspective and out of the box in order to achieve growth really quickly. And oftentimes, because these guys have tons of examples and case studies, it can actually be easier to do 10x than 2x, even though it sounds insane. And it's just fascinating because you really have to think out of the box. If you think, how do I grow the business 10x in a year or two instead of 2x? Highly recommend the book. Then obviously, The Power of Discipline by Daniel Walter. Excellent book. Uh, won't go into too much depth, but just essentially all about discipline and how it's critical to maintain discipline in order to succeed in all areas of life. And then the third one I think is really brilliant. It's called High Performance by uh, Jake Humphrey and Damien Hughes. Uh, these guys have gone out and interviewed tons of professional athletes, successful business leaders, and they talk about how to take those qualities and instill them into building a top-performing uh, work culture, and also how to be a top performer uh, as an individual. So, I'm not gonna—I could rattle on forever on books, but those are three top ones on um, that are top of mind right now that are pretty recent. That is amazing. I think I knew about 80% of what you're talking about. <laughs> so that's <laughs> <laughs> that's that's always a good sign quite similar taste in that regard but yeah um uh yeah in terms of podcasts though you know i've got to mention the modern this is also a great podcast as well <laughs> that's it's i'm now i've now pressed subscribe and follow i will be i'm very much looking forward to future episodes so i would absolutely add, add that i definitely add that to your list um <laughs> the mindset mentor i've recently been listening to that that is i would do oh interesting I do recommend that one as well. It's very concise, like 15, 20 minute episodes. And it's very like, it really gets fired for the day. Um, though I don't recommend sending it to other people because they could get kind of insulted. <laughs> I had that really. <laughs> so someone, and they were like, do you think that I'm just really lazy? And I was like, I don't think so. I just wanted to encourage you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's great. I'm adding that to my list. <laughs> Definitely. Check it out. 
<laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for those suggestions. Um, I guess looking a bit more at your kind of um, long-term view of your business and more, I guess, your long-term plans. Um, obviously, you, you mentioned about the book about scaling um, by 10x. That's a very ambitious, very ambitious goal to have. But what is your kind of big, big goal that you're working towards with your business? Where do you see yourself in five years? Do you have a plan? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I have a really ambitious plans for the business, but I'm not trying to build us into some massive multinational corporation with like hundreds and hundreds of people. But I think the five-year vision very much can see the business being a kind of like 35, 40, 45 headcount. Um, you know, towards the end of this year, we'll be close to 10 and then probably getting closer to 20 by the end of next year. Uh, we're doing, we now have clients actually in the UK, the US, Europe. We're increasingly doing more revenue outside of the UK. And I think the goal, sort of five years from now, is to be doing a very large percentage of our revenue outside of the UK. And uh, definitely we'll have opened our first international office. To be decided where that is, it could be potentially Miami, where a lot of our clients are moving, or maybe even in Dubai. Uh, two big locations that a lot of our clients have been flocking towards. And, you know, I I think that the nice thing about me founding the business and bootstrapping it myself and owning 100% of it is that it also means that I'm in a position where I can give away equity in the business. So we have a clear kind of partnership path for people that join us. And if they really work hard, they can probably reach that objective in kind of four or five years. And uh, definitely could see the business having sort of four to five partners, probably each leading one of our practice areas in the business, and each of them having like a really kind of successful, high-performing team underneath them. So I think the, the goal is, you know, we have a very, very good reputation in the UK. I think it's just to really continue building that, that presence. And, you know, the more people we have, the better work we can do to serve our clients and the, the, more, the more it enables, to do that, or enables us to do that. And that's ultimately what we're here for. We love helping our clients build high-performing teams and then seeing them generate really strong investment returns. So that's that's kind of the plan. Uh, there's a good chance we might eventually have two international offices. We've done a bit of work in credit, but we may uh, not credit. Um, we've done a lot of credit, a bit of work in Asia. Uh, but we, you know, there's a good chance we'll increasingly look at doing more in Asia over time. So that's kind of a bit more sort of medium to long term, more difficult because of time zones. But that is kind of the the ultimate plan. And then you know, have some partners in the business, continue scaling it up, and then we'll see what happens. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to see you out in Dubai if that's the case. <laughs> hey, well, see, see you there. <laughs> <laughs> you could come up with a nice uh, suntan. <laughs> that's a, a real strong suntan. <laughs> um, a bit more about, I would love to yeah, hear a bit more about what you find the most rewarding in all of this. You know, you mentioned, I think, sure. more about kind of the search and, you know, being mm -hmm. someone and yeah, mm -hmm. what drives you as an individual, really. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been, I was talking to uh, a candidate a little bit earlier today that I was interviewing actually to join our business. And she kind of asked me the same thing. This is kind of an answer I give, and I think it makes a lot of sense. So here's what's rewarding. First of all, we love building teams for our clients, seeing the clients succeed and everything else. But if you think about the process of us placing a successful portfolio manager with a client, this is someone that's managing money for that client and in return for their investors. If we place that person with the client, the candidate that we place is really happy. It's been a life-changing experience for them. And, you know, who knows what it's going to mean for them, but probably very good for them, their family, everybody else. Our client is also happy because they, they land someone that is generating really strong investment returns for them, hopefully, 
our, our candidates have a very good track record, by the way. Um, and then, and, and then we get paid pretty well to do it. So it's a really good feeling because it's kind of a win, win, win on kind of all three fronts. So, you know, we are getting rewarded, uh, for, you know, placing somebody with one of our clients, which is exciting because the consultant slash recruiter in the business that made that placement, um, gets really happy about it. They get paid. The client has good investment performance and our candidate oftentimes has a kind of a life-changing career transformation. So I think it's just really good because it is a win on all fronts. Um, so I think that's extremely rewarding. And then oftentimes what I also love is that a lot of the candidates we place end up going on to build teams and then we get to hire those teams and build them out for them. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just really exciting uh, to to be able to actually like have an impact on just not not just people but also large organizations and oftentimes build entire teams for them. So it just feels really good. And you know, not every day. You know, sometimes a great candidate that we like doesn't get the job, and that's sad. But oftentimes we'll try to help that candidate, put them into another process. So it's it's that. And then lastly, just getting to talk to lots of really fascinating people because a lot of the people we work with are incredibly intelligent, very successful, very humble super interesting backgrounds from all over the world. And that's, it's very, very enjoyable. Mm, absolutely. And I, yeah, I could really tell you're a great communicator and, um, you know, I, I'm sure that would resonate very well with your clients. So, uh, thanks a lot, Melissa. <laughs> well, good on you. Um, my, my kind of concluding question for you as we kind of wrap up and my last mm -hmm. question, is um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast, people who might just be starting out in the business world. Um, mm -hmm. You've had mentors and people come alongside you and help you. What, what is, I guess, what, what are some pieces of advice that you can kind of share with us um, that might help? Yeah, okay. I've got, I've got a few. I think, you know, especially if you're working in a company already, and you're going to be taking kind of taking the plunge or the risk and leaving, like make sure you do your research and really make sure that you're kind of, you're not just going into something without any plan. So kind of really do your market research and know what you're getting yourself into uh, and know that it's scary. It was scary for me. It's scary for most people. It's also exciting, but you know, knowing that it's completely normal to have that kind of fear barrier up there that might prevent you from making the jump, even if you're thinking of doing it and just knowing that you just got to have the bravery to kind of, pass through that. I think if you're not working or if you've been made redundant or if you've recently graduated, I mean, then if you really think about it, there's almost no risk. So that's also an exceptional opportunity to say, Hey, this is, if I, you know, this is the time to actually take a risk. So I would say that it's hard work. So, you know, people, a lot of times people you see running successful businesses, uh, went through a lot of kind of heartache, pain, blood, sweat, and tears to get there. Lots of late nights. So, you know, you have to grind and there's competition and competition's healthy. Just got to be willing to work really, really hard, but also embrace the journey. I think that's the most important part, whether it's the highs or the lows, embrace those. You know, if something goes wrong, learn from it, see the good in it, say, okay, this, this failed. What lessons can I learn from this and make sure that I'm not kind of repeating those same mistakes. But I think it's just embracing the fact that it's going to be a lot of work. And, you know, the reason a lot of people don't start businesses or the reason that people that start businesses fail oftentimes is because they don't realize how much work they're going to have to put in. And sometimes people start a business and say, damn, this is a lot of work. Wow. I have to work really hard to actually build this into something. This is too much. I'm going to quit. So just embrace the hard work. Just, just go after it. And, um, yeah. And obviously treasure your downtime. That's absolutely critical. 
have have some uh, <laughs> have some time to uh, just chill and uh, do stuff that's that has nothing to do with the business. That's critical. At least one day off, ideally two, if you have more time. So hope that's hope that's helpful. Just some pearls of wisdom, but there's probably even more. <laughs> Love that. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, my downtime tonight is doing a face mask. <laughs> That's gonna that be... sounds... I did one of those last week. Oh. Very, very nice. Yeah, <laughs> best. <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, uh, Alex. And thank you so much. And yeah, I'm, I think your wisdom will come in so useful for myself and everyone included who's listening. So thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa. It's been a pleasure. Uh, good luck with everything on The Modernist. Great podcast. Looking forward to... Uh, listen to new episodes that come in and uh, thanks so much for having me.